Hey. Um, I think that we're about to get there, everyone. Um, we all right? I feel like everyone's in a quite somber mood. I'm feeling in a fairly somber mood, <laughs> in fairness. But I also want to feel like a sense of lightness. Um, because I think that's okay in church. And I think uh, the Holy Spirit probably wants to move among us. And I don't think that's a cause for sadness, but of, of happiness and joy. Um, so let me just pray for that really quickly. Um, Jesus, hello. We're so grateful for you, Lord. We're so flipping grateful for you. So would you just come and meet us, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds and our souls. Lord, we welcome you. We await you. We love you. Come and speak to us, Jesus. We're open. We want to hear what you have to say. Let everything else fall away. But do, do make sure that your words go into my heart this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Luke 7, everyone. Um, I'm, I'm speaking about forgiveness. Forgiveness. If you're with us for the first time or first time in a while, we're in a mini-series on the, the meals that Jesus had with various people throughout the Gospels, the different times he ate with groups of people. Um, and here he is invited to a Pharisee's house. But the point of this meal, it all comes back to forgiveness. What that means is it means to say that I'm clean, I'm pure, I am forgiven, I'm loved by another without hiding anything. I'm loved by another without hiding anything. And that's really cool. That's really cool. It feels wonderful to not walk in shame, but to say everything you know, and I'm fully loved. That's forgiveness. That's what forgiveness brings. A few years ago, the church, um, not this church, but the church generally, um, determined to discover the purpose of humanity, the purpose that we exist, the purpose I was born, the purpose you were born. And... Uh, they determined this. They said that the chief end of humanity is to worship God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of humanity is to worship God and enjoy him forever. So we're allowed to smile. Sorry, I can see one person smiling and everyone else looks really sort of like sad. <laughs> Are we okay? Karen is. Steve is. That's great. I'm just going to carry on. I'm going to carry on. I hope we're smiling by the end. Um, to worship God and enjoy him forever. Okay. Thankfully, that does not mean it's going to look like an eternal church service. Amen. Um, it, does mean, uh, it does mean that it's going to be more like if you imagine what the perfect relationship would be like. That's what it'll be like. You know, you'll certainly have those moments of intimacy where you look into the other person's eyes and you tell them how much you love them and it's all soppy, which is really important. But then you'll also have times where you're productive together, you work together, you'll know that the other person's got your back. You know that you'll never be betrayed by them. 
Uh, that's the kind of relationship they're talking about. That's what it means to enjoy another person. That's what life is about. That's what brings our hearts to life at the end of the day, isn't it? That's what we live for, really, is, is, is relationship, relationship. And all those Hallmark Christmas movies that I know you watched this Christmas, don't deny it. Um, you know, they actually have a point to make, which is, which is that nothing means anything. You know, my big successful, they're always book editors in those movies, aren't they? You know, big successful book editing role in the city doesn't mean anything if I don't have the person to love. And fundamentally, I think and I know and I've experienced that, uh, that, that the first relationship that I need in my life to be, to be functioning is the one I have with the one who made me. And that's Jesus. And forgiveness is the door into that. Forgiveness is the door into that. It's the gateway. So let's see what this says about forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Great people. Um, Luke 7, um, we're going to go through the passage. It's, it's, it's fairly simple, self-explanatory, so I just invite you to follow along. And um, I'll stop at points and, and say some things. But we're starting Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. That was a normal thing to do. It wasn't just some Jesus being weird. They all reclined. It wasn't just Jesus going, hello. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Okay, so we've got these two characters being introduced here, um, uh, meeting Jesus. And we've got a real contrast between them. We've got the Pharisee, which means a professional, religious man. His whole life and his whole job is to, is to basically try and please God. That's all he does, all day. Uh, and then you've got the contrast of this woman who comes in, and she is, verse 37, someone who lives a sinful life. And the fact that they knew that means that it's not just a regular sinful life, but it's like a notoriously sinful life. She is a known sinner. Most scholars assume she was a prostitute. So you've got these two contrasting figures meeting Jesus at this dinner. Verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her Tears, and then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and she poured perfume on them. She stands behind him, she's weeping, which, let's be honest, is really weird because it's a dinner party. So it would be really awkward for someone to be standing there crying. This is not a funeral, this is a dinner party. And she is weeping and we're not just saying like small little tears in the corner. This is tears enough that they're like getting a guy's feet wet. She's weeping. And as she wets his feet with her tears, she wipes them with her hair. Again, massively inappropriate in that culture. You'd normally have your hair tied back. Um, the only person you'd let your hair down for would be your husband. But she's, she's got her hair down. She's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And she kisses his feet. And she pours perfume on them. Uh, I don't know if you've ever um, seen um, or met a person who you know really well 
but they've been away for whatever reason, and you're like, you really love that person. And um, it's like, you know, if you imagine yourself on a train platform and they get off the train after not having seen them for weeks or months or whatever, um, and maybe you go with a friend and you've, you're talking to that friend, but the moment that person gets off the train, everything stops, right? Everything stops. You just run to them and you snog them. That's what you do, isn't it, when you haven't seen them for a long time, unless it's your sister. Um, but, you, but you do. That's it. Everything falls away and stops at that moment. You know, the conversation that you were having with that person on the platform doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. You're willing to let that go. You're willing to be embarrassed and to break, even be rude to this person, but it's understood because you love that person. That's the kind of love that we're talking about that this woman feels for Jesus. Quite simply, what does this, all this stuff that she's doing actually tell me about her? It tells me she really loves this man. She really, really, really blooming loves this guy. And she's willing to be embarrassed and she's willing to be undignified in the expression of that love. Moi. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, all this inappropriateness, he says to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. That's funny because, verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, i.e. he thought this. So he monologues in his head, if this man knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her, he wouldn't let her touch him. And then Jesus answers him. It's just one of those cool Jesus things. Um, side note, if you... If you ever do feel like someone is asking a question that's not verbalized, I would go ahead and answer it. That's my, uh, that's my two cents, especially when it comes to Christianity, because people are very understandably nervous and find it very difficult to articulate well their questions, and they're, and they're scared of looking un, unknowledgeable and, and unknowing. So just for us as a church in evangelism and in mission, do feel free to say, I can I can tell what that person's thinking. I've got a sense of what that person's thinking. I'll just answer the question. I'll just answer the question. And if you're wrong, no one dies. And if you're right, fantastic. So Jesus answers this unspoken question. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he says. And then verse 41, Jesus tells a story. And he tells this story in order to explain the situation that's happening in the room. We've got Jesus, we've got a man who's holy, we've got a woman who's very much not holy, one of them's pouring out lots of love, the other one not so much. Jesus is trying to teach Simon something in this moment. He tells this story. Simon, two people owe money to a certain moneylender. One of them owed 500 denarii, huge amount of money. The other one owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Simon, which one of them will love him more? Simon replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Correct, says Jesus. You're right. And then immediately he begins to explain what that story meant. Turns to the woman and he says to Simon, 
do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, which was standard practice back in those days. But she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, which again was a, a, a sign of welcome. From the time I entered, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, yet again, another sign of saying, you're welcome here. She has been pouring perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus just reveals immediately what, what the story meant. Um, you've got two servants. One of them owes a lot, large amount of money. One of them owes a small amount of money. Jesus says, Simon, this woman is like the one who owes a huge amount of money. And you're like the one who owes a small amount of money. And in doing so, he brings Simon down like seven pegs and he raises this woman up to be his equal. Because what is he saying about both? Firstly, he's saying, quite simply, both of you are in debt. Both of you are in debt. I, you know, I know that she owes a lot more, but the truth is you owe something too. And secondly, neither of you can pay. Neither of you can pay this back, you know. And if we were take, to take that to, the court, to a court of law, you know, there's no such thing as slightly guilty or very guilty. It's just guilty or not guilty. So as the judge, judge's gavel comes down, what we find out is both these characters, whether you owe a lot or a little, you can't pay it back. You are guilty. And this is a really important point, actually, because this is, this is something that Jesus speaks about multiple times um, in his whole ministry throughout the Gospels. Um, I don't know how many of you grew up in like evangelical church youth groups like I did. Um, they were good. They're good places, mostly. Um, but you do get some funny things. And I, I, remember, I remember once we were having this teaching on, um, on uh, it was on dating. And it was on like dating as if, you know, dating as if you're going to get married to that person because evangelical youth groups love to just be really intense about everything. Um, and, uh, and, and then, and then the discussion changed, and I remember in the, in the room, one of the girls brought up this topic, and she's just like, oh, I would never date a guy who had looked at pornography ever because, um, because Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that anyone who looks at another person in lust has committed adultery with them in their heart, which is true, which is true. And it's a really, taken at face value, that kind of makes sense. However... That is the silliest thing of all time. And just for any of you who are looking to date in the room, don't be like that. Don't be like that. The point of what Jesus is saying there, and I'm going to circle back to this because it does make sense. The point of what Jesus is saying there is, if you look at a person and you don't think something, and you think something impure, you've basically committed adultery with them in their heart. That means you are guilty. That means you are guilty. Sure, it might be a little bit guilty, but guilty nonetheless. Do you see where I'm going? So you could be a serial adulterer in your life, and yes, of course, you'd be guilty. But in order to judge that person, you would literally have to be the person who never once has ever seen anyone and thought anything 
that isn't 100% wholesome. And that is none of you. And that's certainly not me. So the point that Jesus is making is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are guilty. You are guilty. You might owe a little, might feel like you owe a little bit. Yeah, I'm a little bit guilty. That person over there is really guilty. Jesus is like, no, no, no. Neither of you can pay it back. Neither of you can pay it back. Does that make sense? The good news is we're on an even playing field uh, with each other. Happy days. We're all guilty and we all owe something, but we're on an even playing field. Okay, let's look at the third character in the story. Who is this money, money lender? Who is this person who's giving out these, this, this money to people? Jesus reveals it in verse 48. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Boom. Boom. It's a really big moment. The debt that you owed, I'm forgiving it. The same as the moneylender forgave the servant. I'm the one who's forgiving your sins. I'm the one who's forgiving your sins. Who's the person that ultimately we owe? Jesus. And, and I've, I, I, I did struggle to write this part of the sermon because it's, I think it is quite difficult to explain. And it's definitely difficult to explain at, at such a deep level that it hits as profoundly as I think it should. Um, because we, we, we understand when we mess up and when we sin, we hurt one another and we might owe an apology. That makes sense to us. But we don't necessarily understand why we might need to apologize and why we might owe something to God. Why is God upset? And I think there are actually multiple reasons that we might owe an apology to God. We might owe something to him. Uh, just to... On a very basic level, if you imagine a carpenter made a little wooden town and filled it with little wooden people, and then one of those little wooden people went nuts and just started hitting and hurting all the other wooden people and, you know, scratched their paint and whatever, yes, that wooden person would owe an apology to the other wooden people, but who else would he owe an apology to? The carpenter, right? He's just trashed his, his stuff. So on one level, that's why we owe an apology to Jesus, but I've been thinking about it, and I think really profoundly, you, you are made in the image of God. That's what it says in Genesis. That means you are designed to reflect who he is, who he is. That means that when people see you, they say, it, it's like I'm seeing an aspect of the God of heaven and earth, which is an amazing and terrifying thought. And we don't think of ourselves like this, but that's what the Bible says. They look at you and they say, I'm seeing an aspect or an image of the divine here in this person before me. And when we sin and when we mess up, we, we damage that and we reflect something that is suddenly not just not Jesus, but is anti-Jesus. It's anti the one who made us. And I think that hurts. I really think that hurts. Um, and that's why sin is, is really, it's serious, you know, and it can be really comforting. And our culture does this a lot where it says, oh, it's natural, you know, the way you feel or what you've done. Loads of people do that. It's so easy to justify 
It's so easy to justify yourself. When you compare yourself to others, that's a good way to try and justify yourself. Um, listen to celebrities, that's a good way to try and justify yourself. Listen to a therapist, dare I say it, sometimes. That can be a really unhelpful way to try and justify yourself. When the, the horrible truth is that you're guilty and you owe something, possibly to, to other people asking for forgiveness, but certainly, certainly to the one who made you and who loves you. So who pays this debt? The money lender. Who forgives the sin? It's Jesus. He's the only one who can. He's the one who's owed. So he's the only one who can. Who foots the bill for your sin at the end of the day? Jesus. Jesus. And that's what the cross, that's what the cross is about. That's what it means. Uh, a, man, a man died there, you know, on that cross. God died. And, and bl blood ran, ran out of him. Because because I messed up that badly and I deserved that much. I was that guilty. And I, I know that to be true. Um, and I'm, I'm forgiven and I'm free because instead of me, Jesus went and he paid the bill. And he paid the bill. Let me read this last verse, verse 50. Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. That's nothing special about her. It's not that she had some magical, miraculous faith. It's just that the person she had faith in had the power to forgive sin, Jesus, which means that today we can be forgiven in Jesus, okay? Yeah, okay. Um, and we can go in peace. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus says to her, now we can go in peace. That's amazing news. Because I really need peace, I really do. I worry, I worry a lot. I, I worry when I read the news. I feel very responsible for a lot of things. And I, what I really need is deep, 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 Peace. And the place where it comes from fundamentally is from knowing that it's from knowing that if I took all the stuff, the sin, the evil, the wrong things in my life, and I put them on a backpack on my back, it would be unbearably heavy. And Jesus says, give it to me, and he can handle it. And he does. Can I pray for you? I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for forgiveness and I'd love to pray for peace. Father, we thank you so, so much for your, uh, your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you absolutely had no responsibility to save us or to give us peace, but you loved us and you wanted to. Thank you that you had no responsibility to go to that cross and die, but you loved us and you wanted to. You chose to so that we could be free and clean 
and be in a relationship of love where nothing, nothing, nothing is hidden or needs to be ashamed of. Father, I just pray your Holy Spirit would come and move amongst us and touch our hearts now and speak to us individually for a moment. And Lord, you just place your finger on the things in our lives that you would like to. They might be things that we need to ask your forgiveness or seek forgiveness of another. They might be things where the Lord's saying, I want to bring peace to that area or to that thing. It might just be that the Lord is saying, I'm, I, I really, really, really do love you in a way that just makes sense to you this evening. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your kindness and for saving me. Thank you for saving me.